and we had a lot of guys that were following it and and kind of emulating whatever we did they did to theirs nice so we knew we had a responsibility yeah absolutely well that's smart and then you know obviously it evolved into so many different things but it was it was a, a an ongoing project and it really it really set the mold for project cars to follow i mean obviously every magazine kind of hangs its its um it's uh, signature builds on you know a project car that they built and they modified and they whatever. But what a lot of times happens is those cars get built by somebody and then they get to the point where that guy's satisfied and then he sells it and it goes somewhere. Project X was the ever evolving, changing, modifying. And you're right, the manufacturers would call up and say, hey, can I put a part on that vehicle? And then they'd learn something from that. And that was really the beauty of Project X. Hey, welcome to Car Guy Confessions, brought to you by ARP. I'm Jeff Smith. This is my car buddy, Cam Benzie, and car builder, Steve Strope. And we're going to tell you some stories. Well, welcome to Car Guy Confessions without Jeff Smith this time. Happens to be me, but we still do have our sponsor, which is ARP Bolts. So ARP-Bolts.com. We're very happy to have those guys as our sponsor for last year and again this year. So lots of exciting things going on there. So we're doing a Zoom call because a very good friend of mine and former boss, George Elliott, good combination there anyway, huh, George? But <laughs> uh, but George uh, is uh, a, a, was a mentor of mine, and I've known George for a very long time. Uh, but this episode happens because of purely, purely personal reasons. I've been reading a lot of stuff in Facebook. I've been reading stuff in Hot Rod Magazine, where they're regurgitating a lot of stuff with regards to a car that I know very, very well, and George knows even better, which is Project X. Project X was a hard top, not a hard top, a uh, two-door post, 57 Chevrolet that went through so many metamorphoses, Frankenstein would be jealous of all that. I mean, all the different things that went on there. But I wanted to introduce George, and I wanted to talk about Project X. So for purely personal reasons, this is what this entire episode is about. George and his car. So there's where it is. George, thanks for being with us today. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Appreciate it. So you're in you're in Charlotte, which is the other logistical thing that we have here. I'm in California. I'm on the West Coast. And George is in North Carolina. Thus, the, the Zoom call situation that we have in front of us right now. But it looks pretty good. You comfortable, George? I am. You want to hang with us for 45 minutes or so? I bet. <laughs> <laughs> hope, hope you had your Wheaties. But, uh, but anyway, had a good dinner. That's good. That's right. You got dinner. Yeah, we got to do that three hour time change here. Yeah. But anyway, so George Elliott is really the guy behind Argus publishing all the time that I've known about Argus. I worked for Argus from 1981 to 1987, but George goes back to the roots. Um, how many years did you work for Argus there? Yeah. A little over 35. 35. What year did you start at Argus publishing? Uh, 60, I think it was 62 or 63. Oh, really? So yeah. you just gotten out of the Navy kind of thing or? Well, I actually started while I was still in the Navy. I was about to get out. Oh, okay. And, and, um, um, I went to work with, uh, in the advertising sales, which was done as an independent agent. Oh, okay. So um, you didn't have to come into the office every day. You could, you know, make no, very good. No. So, so how did you, now your dad had been in this business for a while too, correct? I mean, he, what did your yes. dad do? I know, I don't actually know. What, what did your dad well, do? Well, he had a uh, advertising agency at Elliott Advertising 
that was really a specialty, would, would be called a boutique agency today. He handled um, the industry of uh, speed equipment and what have you um, for advertising. That, his, those, his clients were people like Eskandarian, Crower, um, it was Blonde at the time, yeah. uh, Exhaust Systems, Headman Headers, you know, people nice. like that. So major companies, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Did you see that Ed Iskadarian and, uh, and uh, Alex, um, the gentleman who... Uh, Alex Exidius. Exidius, thank you very much. That was so smooth with that. But uh, Alex Exidius just got together and they were sharing 100 birthday stories. So uh, they're still hanging in there. I see Ed at the Hall of Fame, SEMA Hall of Fame luncheon most every year. Yeah. And uh, his mind is incredibly awesome. He he he's really cordial with me because he and my dad were very close. I bet. And uh, my dad was one of the founding four of uh, SEMA. And um, it always reminds me that if it wasn't for him, SEMA wouldn't be around. I, I can't quite <laughs> say that would be that the case, especially when you look exactly, at SEMA yeah. now. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, an amazing story. Now, are you in the Hall of Fame? You're in the Hall of Fame too, right? Yes. That's yes, what I thought. I what year were you inducted into the Hall of Fame? Do you know? Um, Take a look on the wall. There you go. Uh, I don't know. It's, but Some, sometime it was, during this this uh, past century. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. It was uh, about 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Okay. Yeah. So that's... It's, it's uh, back when Argus... Uh, you know, we had Performance Plus and those yeah. TV shows and things. Those were uh, that and Super Chevy shows. Are th that was some of the stuff that got me to the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Well, when you think about it, Performance Plus, which was a TV show that was on the uh, the Nashville network, I think that's where we it aired. Yeah. And yeah. It was. It was before. It was the precursor to all. I mean, not to not to beat our drum too big here, but precursor to all automotive programming basically correct on it TV. was uh because again just like popular hot riding and in argus philosophy we we went behind the scenes at the speed shops which nobody was doing in other words we'd go into uh, like an edelbrock and we talked to vic he'd take us around the shop show us how things were made and and things like that and um that ran for seven years on the Nashville network. Yeah, that was a big deal, and it and it yeah. did it did uh, pre precede any other programming of its type. There was there really wasn't any uh, automotive programming at that time. I mean, that was no. Uh, Joe, Joe St. Lawrence actually right um, had a couple shows. They weren't the same as Performance Plus, but they were uh, they were automotive different. aftermarket related. So right. Got to give him a little credit too. And Joe, and Joe definitely was a was a landmark guy with regards to all that. That was what be what Speed Channel, and I can't remember what the channel. No, was Speed Speed didn't exist then. Was the, what, uh, what was the one before that? I know that's what I'm going to do too. I can't remember, <laughs> but there was one before Speed, and that and it turned into. And, and that was really the Nashville Network. Um, oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, because there weren't that many automotive uh, aftermarket type shows. No. No, so, nobody was putting that together, and and television 
with regards to Peterson Publishing was not something that they really focused on. They weren't even they, doing any of that. No, they didn't start that till oh, almost near my end of my tenure yeah. at Argus. Yeah. yeah. So, so where did Argus? Uh, I'm going to get to this Project X thing, but I think it's important to get the whole picture here. Sure. So, so, so where did Argus Publishers come from? Because Argus was bought by McMullen Yee, which then got absorbed into Peterson, if I follow that kind of that path, correct? That That's right. Okay. Right. So, so where did Argus come from? So it's 1962. You're already working for him. Where did, where did that Argus come from? Well, it, uh, the, the owners were uh, Gordon Bain and Don Warner. Don Warner was the uh, former editor of Motor Trend. Okay. And Gordon Bain was the circulation director uh, at Peterson, okay. as well as when he we started Argus, because that's when the magazine business was entirely different than computers. Yeah. And <clears throat> those two started it. Uh, several Peterson people came over as editors. Uh, Spence Murray. Um, big names. Those are big names. Yeah. yeah. Spence, Spence was. And uh, Spence was one of our really early, early uh, editors. And pretty much liked an editorial director. And um, we had people like Barney Navarro. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean. And when, when did you move over to editor slash publisher at Argus? When did that happen? I, I was, that was in the 80s, perhaps. Okay. I think right around then. Um, I was a, an associate editor, same time I was selling ads, and yep. started writing a few car features. One of my first car features was Don Perdome. Really? And, and his dragster, when he was in the paint paint uh, business, huh. in Van Nuys, he, you know, he worked in a body shop, he was a painter. Nice. And uh, uh, his dragster was one of my first car features, and then from then on, I just started doing car features like um and work my way up and sure. I, I really started to specialize in tech tech articles right well that's 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 where popular hot rodding really excelled i mean that was the thing that we did better than anybody which was in-depth tech art writing uh, for folks that were you know, DIY or whatever, there were things that they could do to their own cars back in a time when you could do stuff to your car. But the whole point was that you could um, really learn something from the pages of popular hot rodding and or Super Chevy and the other publications that we did. So that all that was kind of the, the hook that made popular hot rodding so popular with uh, with its audience. And it grew fairly quickly. I mean, did, did how long did it take for it to really kind of connect pretty fast? Yeah, it started pretty fast. Um, you have to remember magazine distribution back in that time. Right. Um, they would just send them out. And what you really focused on was drugstores and, you know, newsstands, because right. newsstand was a big deal. In the meantime, Peterson was focusing on subscriptions, and we were right. focusing on newsstand. And so most of our growth was you know, those just went out to get it. Right. Well, that was, that was obviously the more meaty 
situation, not to not to give a primer to you because you gave me this primer, but to understand what goes on with newsstand sales, when somebody sells a, a magazine in a pharmacy or whatever, there is a tremendous amount of profit that happens from that sale, as opposed to a subscription, which usually gets discounted. And the orientation is if you can run the subscriptions up and the numbers go up, then you can charge more for advertising because you're, you're charging for reach. But in essence, where you make the best money right off the bat is newsstand. It also shows vitality, shows somebody really wanted it as opposed to, you know, somebody subscribed at their local dentist and it sits in the front area there and they, you know, nobody reads it, but they subscribed. So anyway, so it's that kind of, uh, is that a fair primer? Did I, did I, did I get my lessons well on that? You learned it good. There you go. I tried, <laughs> I tried very much, but, uh, but newsstand on, on popular hot running. And that was one of the funniest things I remember when I was at popular hot running was the pass uh, pass around value. In other words, if you have one <laughs> copy, if you have one copy, how many people see it? And popular hot running was always like that trivia question that said, so how many copies of popular hot running, how many hands does it see? And it was always number one. It was always like 11 people saw one copy of that magazine, which made the numbers just go crazy. Is this this crazy deal going on? But um, I always wanted to make it out of some, the, the magazine out of some kind of biodegradable that after three three hand prints on it, that it disintegrated. Somebody had to buy another copy. You know, that would The copies I have now, they have disintegrated. <laughs> So one of the things I like to do is always assemble an engine with ARP bolts. And it's not just because they're sponsors, but because it really does work. Um, and, and the stuff is fantastic. I never have to worry about it. Steve, you building building cars too. Yeah, uh, actually, it's part of my baseline design plan when I'm building a car that's going to be shown or featured in a magazine. It's part of the plan right. to have that little bit of diamonds all over the engine bay or in the suspension. Yeah. Yeah, the stuff is beautiful. I remember uh, a long time ago, I built the uh, first time I ever touched it, 69Z28. All of the uh, water jacket holes had stripped out, yeah. and I learned about ARP studs. So check them out at arp-bolts.com or check out their catalog. You'll find everything you're looking for. Uh, we'd like to thank one of our uh, main sponsors that's been with us for a long time, Alden American Shocks. They make a coilover shock that is very impressive. Uh, you've had you have them on yeah, your we, Chevelle. Yeah, I got a set on my Chevelle. Yeah. We did a we did a little Jespis Garage video a, and very cool looking. I mean, with the, with yeah. the chrome exterior, the, yeah. the excellent looking, and you can get them different finishes as well. And but single and adju double adjustables. The adjustability. That's mm -hmm. what I was just going to say is the key ingredient here because you've got something that can be tuned to improve the suspension and ride for that and matter. ride quality and sure. ride height. So. So very simple. Yeah, you can also adjust the right height. Yeah, yeah exactly. All very good. Coil over. But yeah. anyway, so go take a look at uh, AldenAmerican.com. And if you use the code uh, CARGUY10, you'll get 10% off. Yeah, that's even better. Even better. Yeah. See, it pays to watch the show. What were you doing? Okay, you went to the Navy. You got involved in, the, in, uh, in, in sales, you know, perhaps working with your dad a little bit as well. But um, so... What other things were you doing? You were racing. You were doing bike racing. Weren't you like a, a pretty established dirt bike rider? Well, I, I wasn't at that time. Um, okay. I was actually pretty old when I started riding bikes. And that's one of the reasons we had popular cycling. Um, and the same goes for off-road. The philosophy was the same for both magazines. I wasn't doing it. We had some, either an editor or somebody that was enthusiastic about it. Sure, sure. And um, so 
I always felt that if we're going to be talking to our readers, I had to know what it was all about. So I'd go out and do it. Right. And, um, you know, in off-roading, uh, John Lawler was one of the very early um, enthusiasts in off-road. He was a real pioneer to the sport and to the Mexican 1000, which was my first race in 68. What did, what did you drive? What did you drive in that? I, I drove what was called the Rev, Revmaster Spider. And um, it's, a, it's a it's a car or a bike. That's a little line. It's like a, a Wampus oh, yeah. Kitty. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Wow. And that's John Lawler and I. That was our first Mexican 1000. And that wow. was that was 68. Thousand miles. But, yeah. And that was a long thousand miles. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. <laughs> How long did it take you to do that? Well, I didn't finish that race. We crashed that race. <laughs> the first adventure got a little bit exuberant, and um, supposedly no nobody was allowed on the course other than the racers. But we Good got luck. down to Camelou, and um, there was I was passing the guy, and it was extremely dusty, but I could see him, and I knew the road was straight in front of me, so. I went ahead and tried to pass, and all of a sudden, somebody pulled out, and I T-boned him. Oh, boy. Were that you was hurt? the end of our day. Were you hurt? No. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Wow. How fast were you going? Who knows? I, I, I mean. Fast. Fast and dusty. It, it was going. Those cars only, at that time, ran around 80, 90 at the most. That's a good impact. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going that fast at the time, I'm pretty sure, because right. I kept trying to get around this guy, and I couldn't. And then uh, finally I had, saw the opportunity and went for it. Yeah. What was he driving? Time. What was he driving? wasn't like you were going around Parnell. The Bronco. Yeah. Oh, Bronco. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, the most popular vehicle at that time. It was the most popular vehicle, was it not? Yeah, especially in Mexico. Yeah. I bet. I bet. Well, they've got a new legacy with the new Broncos, and Big ones are pretty nice. I don't know whether yeah. you know whether you've driven those, but those are those are pretty awesome, by the way. So so you so when did you get into because you you did ride some big bike races, did you not? You do like uh, I did. Barstow, yeah, I was Vegas. uh yeah. I primarily rode district 37 in Southern California because okay. that's where I was living at the time. And uh I liked desert racing and uh, the Grand Prix. Um, Grand Prix were generally two-hour races that be yeah. probably a ten-mile course or whatever. And um, I really liked those. I was very successful in winning those. Um, but I was actually 28 when I first rode a motorcycle. My really? first race was the Barstow to Vegas, wow. and Preston Petty loaned me a bike. Uh, he was one of our uh, tech editors and obviously a very noted uh, motorcycle guy. He created the plastic fenders and parts for motorcycles. Nice. And um, what did you ride again? What, what was the bike? It, it was a work Suzuki. That was ah. his work Suzuki. <laughs> very sophisticated bike. And I yeah. I don't know why he, let it, why he let me do it, but, you know, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I bet. So how'd you do? Uh, did you finish? 
Well, no, there's only 4,000 people in that race. I know. It's a mess. It's a mess. And I, the, the one thing I remember is I never saw the front fender for most of that time. I bet. All the it, dirt. It, yeah. You know, it's just that dusty. It's crazy. Just that, yeah. I have, some, it, I have some friends who've done that race and, and do it every year. Um, and um, it's just one of the greatest things they ever do. You know, they, I just love that. It's a fun race, but it did get me hooked on desert racing. Right. And because at the time, the only off-roading I was doing is uh, driving for Brian Jachua in a Jeep and things like that. And actually a co-driver of mine at the time, uh, his name was Butch Brickner. He challenged me to ride a motorcycle yeah. in the desert. So yeah. I said, okay, well, you That's know. That's what it started, huh? Okay. Yeah. And so then I did, and I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But you were sponsored for a while as a racer too, were you not? Well, I sort of, because I was, uh, <laughs> uh, depending on the class, uh, the small classes like the 100 and 125 was usually Suzuki or Yamaha. Sure. And these were test bikes that they would give us, you know, to test in a race and what have you. Uh, rode uh, an early um Husqvarna's, the road for Mako, the big sure. bike. Mako was one of my bigger successes. Nice. Um, in the open class, the 501. And what I liked about that is I had two engines. I had a 250 and a 501. Uh -huh. And the chassis was the same. So over, you know, I'd usually run the 250 on Saturday and run the 501 on Sunday. Easy swap, huh? Yeah. And nice. it was, you nice. know, pretty cool. Nice. So changing gears over to the four-wheel vehicle orientation, where we talk about Project X. Project X, like I said, is 57 Chevrolet that belonged to you, correct? That, that was your Well, car. no. I, I, uh, Don Warner and I were talking about it, uh, establishing what the platform would be, or at least what we wanted it to be. Right. And I went... Uh, uh, I saw in the paper an ad locally to our office there in Santa Monica, and it was for 57. It was not really in great shape, but you know, it was right. 57. So I went down to the car lot and it was for sale for $700. Yeah. And we bought right. it. Yeah. And it, we felt it was perfect uh, for the was it yellow objective. At what color uh, was it? What color was it? The salmon pink. pink. Good old salmon, salmon pink. pink. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, yeah. at least you figured out that it needed not to be salmon pink on the cover of the magazine. There you go. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, it um the first the absolute first thing we did was an article on steam cleaning the engine, kind of what a, a kid would do with this first car. Sure. You know, how do you get into doing something to your first car? And we put slip on seat covers on it. We Floor mats, uh, steam cleaning the engine, and right. I think we put Krieger wheels on it at the time, or and, and that was the beginning of it. So right. we started, we started like that simple. Right. And this and is then, 1965. You're saying this is when it first started. It have to be 64, 65. Okay. You know, right in there. Right. And then um, we just kept playing with it, you know. Right. Uh, uh, George Barris did all, did the 
seat covers, you know, slip okay. over pit seat covers and all that. Well, I didn't really like those. <laughs> and so we just kind of started working on it a little quicker than that. And I sure. uh, went to Tony Nancy. Uh, I don't remember when we painted it the first time. Tony Nancy, famous, famous interior guy. Oh, One of the most famous of all time. Yeah. Made absolutely. the most beautiful interior for us. Nice. And um, it was a tan tuck and roll. It was just gorgeous. Beautiful. Yeah, nice. And um, and then, you know, it got painted. Right. You start I think pulling. It, was a cheap, a cheap, it was a cheap paint job the first time. Yeah. Again, kind of like what the kid would do with his first car. Sure. You bet. First car. You bet. Back when you could get a paint job for twenty nine ninety nine, like and that, you just <laughs> hope it. that the headlights weren't painted and the chrome and everything. Oh, they always were. They always were. <laughs> but, uh, so, so then you started getting into drivetrains and such, and changing motors, and and that whole thing kind of evolved right out of that, huh? It just kept going and going and going. I mean, uh, sometimes we would have it stay kind of the same when we had a an engine. It had a lot of opportunity for uh, not only the engine modifications but driveline modifications. Maybe we go to a B and M automatic, or right. um, just maybe we we'll put a four-speed in it. You know, we, we we never hesitated putting something in it. I mean, it, it would also be used um, at the time. We'd you know when we had a as a stick shift and a clutch. Um, we would, you know, make us a, a scatter shield, uh -huh. things like that, which at the time you had to have. Right. So, you know, when there was a clutch. So, this was so I mean, it was just yeah. simple stuff that yeah. just on and on on. These were home built things. You built a home built scatter shield. Is that what you're saying? Uh, not necessarily. We okay. might find a manufacturer that needed a car like that to fit it. Sure. So, so they were prototyping parts. Yeah. Yeah. They, they'd use it as a, a pattern right and the uh, hot router get the benefit of it because we do a story about it and they then knew and we had a lot of guys that were following it and and kind of emulating whatever we did they did to theirs nice so well, we knew we had a responsibility yeah absolutely well that, that's smart and then you know obviously it evolved into so many different things but it was it was a, a an ongoing project and it really it really set the mold for project cars to follow. I mean, obviously every magazine kind of hangs its, its, um, its uh, signature builds on, you know, a project car that they built and they modified and they whatever. But what a lot of times happens is those cars get built by somebody and then they get to the point where that guy's satisfied and then he sells it and it goes somewhere. Project X was the ever evolving, changing, modifying, and you're right, the manufacturers would call up and say, hey, can I put a part on that vehicle? And then they'd learn something from that. And that was really the beauty of Project X and why the legacy, part of why the legacy has been so strong is that it, it never kind of waned. There were, it went through all kinds of changes and to throw my period of time, 81 to 87, we were constantly ch changing that vehicle and modifying it and we put, you know, BDS blowers on it, and we had all kinds of different. It had a spool in it, which was the biggest mistake I ever made because when it wouldn't run, it was impossible to push it. So anyway, <laughs> and I have pictures of it actually in a guy's barn where it's got his horse next to the thing, and I remember that whole setup of of getting it there and moving it, and for some reason it didn't fire. There was some electrical something. 
but man, that thing was hard to push, especially on a hill. But um, yeah. <laughs> those cars, but that car just was such a such a landmark vehicle. People people love that car, and they still love that car. Well, you know, and the bright side of what you're saying, Cam, is just like you said, you had a period of working on it. Every editor had a period. I mean, I didn't build this car. Right. This car was built by the editors. And they, you know, they had their ideas of what it should be. And they would do them. Right. You know, and, and that was the cool part of it. It wasn't just what I was thinking about. It, uh, Lee Kelly, uh, yourself, Leonard, yep. all, all the gang used to right. work on that car and, and play with it. And even a lot of, you know, my friends, my buddies, when I, when I had the car over in my garage and my first house in Hawthorne, they, you know, they weren't all staffers. They were just, you know, my brother worked on it a lot. Sure. Um, guys that just were friends. Yeah. They wanted to work on it. So, well, it was what was happening across the country where people were, coming together around cars and enjoying cars and doing things to cars. And it became, you know, it just became such a, such a fun thing. I mean, as opposed to, you know, we always, we old guys pick on folks that, you know, they hang around their computers and they do their thing. Well, it's not the same camaraderie hanging out with somebody and, you know, having a conversation and going driving somewhere and, you know, potentially not doing too, too many bad things with that car while you're, while you're out there doing whatever you're doing, but the orientation being, that um, these cars were fun to drive. They, they caused an emotion when you drove them, you enjoyed them, they were gratifying to drive. It was exciting to put something together and make it work and see it come to fruition. All those things I think are really part and parcel of the whole. We'd like to introduce you to a new sponsor of ours. This is InTheGarageMedia.com. Some friends of ours that were in the print magazine business before and now started their own books. we got All Chevy Performance, Classic Truck Performance, and Modern Rotting. Yeah, these are awesome books. They've got uh, lots of uh, educational and entertainment things in them. And they're even good enough quality to include Steve Strope quality maybe, vehicles. Maybe. Uh, he's <laughs> we'll working see if up I'm to allowed it. in there. Right. I don't know. So in the garage media, InTheGarageMedia.com. Check them out. Check them out. Get your subscription, sit and read it. And with ARP, it's not just a lot of intake manifolds, uh, studs for heads, right. but they also have a humongous selection of American and metric that we use all throughout the car, even large bolts that we use on the suspension components because you want that same strength, that same durability and reliability Plus the beautiful looks. And the stuff outside the catalog. Right. They have a special order program where if you're if you're a builder and you need some special stuff made, they can do that for you. So it's an amazing, amazing company to work with. So check them out at arp-bolts.com or check out their catalog. You'll find everything you're looking for. A lot of editors, um, even those that moved on, you know, to Peterson or wherever, you know, right. always have a strong loyalty to the car. It's something that you know, they have a lot of pride in what they accomplished with it. Right. And it's a lot of ownership to it too. You bet. And then, you know, and then of course you could watch uh, Hollywood nights and see the car, you know, okay. that was cool. I, I mean, I think one of the coolest times of the design of the car right. was when it was used in Hollywood nights. It, it, this was a movie it, back in the, what was that in the seventies? I guess it might've been the early the late 70s. It might have been in the 80s. I, I don't know. But I, uh, and it had, uh, I remember 
Tony Danza and Michelle Pfeiffer and the whole bit. They were at a drive-in and the whole bit. Yeah. Right. And didn't yeah. Doug Marion take it there? Wasn't he kind of the shepherd on that car that day? That couple um, of I think uh, that might have been Mike Johnson. Might have been Mike. Okay, sure. Um, and I think Lenny was pretty involved at that time. Maybe. With the, Maybe. I can't remember the exact eras. Yeah, sure. But I remember they blew up two engines. Yes, I did hear that story. And that really made us happy. That's right. Um, I think Tony Danza couldn't drive a stick. I think that was another thing that they were they were all wrapped up in there. Go yeah. through water and light it up and, you know. Yeah, yeah. Not, just, that's right. And Mike did that. Mike ended up doing the, the, uh, the burnout thing. That's what it was. I remember. Yeah. yeah. So I think I have that right. We'll have to check with others that were there. But uh, yeah, but that was great to have that you know, that great signature moment that Project X was, you know, forever emblazoned in the mindset of, you know, the, the drive-in, you know, so. And that's probably the version that a lot of people like to duplicate because, you know, the blower is exposed up and just no right. hood, didn't have a hood on it. And, and I think it was dropped a little bit on the nose and yeah. it just looked really cool. It looked great. It was a very good looking vehicle. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of the signature hot rod, you know. It worked, yep. it worked on so many different levels through all the evolutions that have happened. And then Argus was, was bought by McMullen Yee and then McMullen Yee was bought by Peterson. So there was an evolution where Argus kind of morphed into things, but Project X still lived in the popular hot running magazine that was then run by, by PHR, or it was run by Peterson. So they had, um, so all that was happening. And then somewhere along the line, Chevrolet decided to honor that car with a redo. Correct? That was yeah. It was uh, they got it because they wanted to use that for the anniversary car for the '57 Chevy. Nice. And so they, uh, I, I don't know if they bought it or just how they got still it. Still belong, uh, still belonged to Peterson at the time, but yes, they re, they redid the entire car. So that would have been for uh, 2007. So 57, 2007, 50th anniversary. Yeah, there you go. Something like that. So it, it, and then it was unveiled as completely overhauled um, at the SEMA show. Yes. As, yeah. That was the unveiling of it. And that was the first the only thing that was original to yeah. us at the time was the rear license plate, <laughs> and, and that was and that's still on the car. Is yes, INL one four two. There you go. There you I go. That. Yeah, uh, that was that was awesome. But so the car really got a really nice makeover. At that point, it had not been doing much in terms of magazine projects. I remember come 2000 or actually after Peterson bought, you know, basically Argus, it, it all kind of came to a, an end in terms of modifications of that vehicle. So the being put out to stud, so to speak, by what Chevrolet did, I guess was a good thing because the car maintained a lot of its, its persona. It looked good. It felt good. It was a, um, it was a good driving car at that point in time. But um, I don't know whether you, you obviously saw what happened at the current SEMA with the newest modification from Chevrolet. That, um, that was a disappointment to me. I just thought that's not where most hot rodders are not yet. at this time. No, no. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's some that 
a lot of them are trying to make cars, electric vehicles, but I guess I'm just not there. No. You know, if I want an electric vehicle, I'll go get, you know, one of the new Mustangs or the Tesla right. or something you right. know, like that. But I, I can't see, you know, I got a 2002 Suburban. I can't imagine making that electric car. No. No, but but in, you know what? And I, I we've had a couple of shows on Car Guy Confessions where we've talked about electric cars and the you know the more the morphing from internal combustion to electric and things are all happening. And then we actually had um, Kevin McC Kevin McClellan, his son Daniel came on, and Daniel's a specialist in in the electric car business. So tune into that episode. But he was really it was really an interesting conversation. Um, our biggest question is about um, having the ability of someplace to charge it. I mean, if you charge it in your garage, that's one thing. But, um, you know, I don't see at this point the infrastructure to charge those vehicles. But to jump back into Project X, I was told that it had like a 200 horsepower electric motor in it, which is, frankly, that's a crime to, to, to have uh, denuded it to that point where it's, a, it's basically, as I, as I said on my Facebook page, oh, look, they made a Project X golf cart. And that's kind of where I was at. I was like, what's <laughs> going on here? I just, I can't, I can't. Well, I understand I, it was a, a Cadillac electric vehicle engine. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Well, you know more than I do. And I'll have well, to it myself if I've got I, the But I don't know. Wrong. Yeah. I have no idea. I know that electric engines got tremendous torque. Yes. And right. you could easily make the car quick on the accelerator. But Correct. I, I, I think when you look under the hood, it just kind of, where's the engine? You right. Know? I mean, it, right. it just, it looked empty. Right. And, and it does. And I guess that, you know, that's, that's what kind of blew my mind. And I didn't even know it was going to be at the show. I got a call from a couple of people uh, the day the show opened. Did you see Project X? No, why? What's the deal? <laughs> Certainly it's didn't hear Project X. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's at the SEMA show. I said, really? So I just assumed at first that, you know, it was right. Yeah. Most some more modifications have been done. But then they told me that it's an electric vehicle. I said, I got to see pictures, you know, and so I was getting pictures like crazy. But um, I, I, I guess I just felt too soon. Yeah, I, I just don't see, you know, I, I say this before and people who have watched the show will remember this, but I, I said, I, I like my performance vehicles with a soundtrack. You know, I like there to be some kind of something that happens in an audio fashion that, that connects me to that vehicle. Um, and I, we've been watching, uh, there are a number of Cobras, you know, the old uh, AC Cobras, you know, Shelby, not Shelby's or the Mustangs, but AC Cobras, and now they're offering them an electric, which makes them amazingly quick. But um, I'm just not quite there. I, I, I joke, again, not to reiterate something I said before, but it's like watching the movie Bullet with the sound off. It's like, yeah, there's no connection. I'm not, I'm not getting pulled in by this vehicle. And if that is the reason for this vehicle, if it's just a transportation A to B, well, they did the wrong car anyway, but I, I can't get behind that. Um, so it's not, it's not for me. Uh, I've driven a lot of electric cars and they are quick off the line. And I see an evolution that's happening around me. Teslas are as common as VW bugs were or Prius were in various other generations, you know, where people 
people just love them. You know, that's what it's going to be. And they got tons of them. I have to say, I got to give Ford some credit because uh, at the last four wide drag races at uh, ZMAX Dragway, yeah. they had um, Ford Engineering had several Mustangs out there. And they, they were screwing around with them, you know, see how fast they can get electric cars going. And they had a Mustang run 177, you know, yeah. and, yep. and, but they had microphones inside the car. And yeah. it was, you know, it just, <laughs> it's a different sound. Like you say, there's no soundtrack. There's no soundtrack. But, but, you know, obviously NHRA has embraced it. They have a class for electric vehicles now. And so they're, they're trying to pull that in. Um, yeah. I don't know how the audience will receive them. Um, I guess time will tell. I mean, we've seen a lot of iterations of different drag racing classes over the time and things we didn't think would work. You in particular saw, you, you've seen the full, full metamorphosis from, you know, pretty rickety to amazingly fast. Uh, yeah. I have a friend who uh, drives a top gas car and he's running, you know, like, 260 you know i can't even fathom uh driving 260 and, and we're not talking top fuel funny car or any of the, the the alcohol classes at that point but he's uh he's doing some amazing things so it's um it, it's just it's just a different time you know and i get that but i, I really to me it was important that we kind of gave you a chance to to talk about project x because nobody's asking you and i'm asking you see see how Remember my guys that the, the, go to the source and find somebody who actually knows something about what you're talking about. I appreciate it very much because I, I, I've seen a lot of stories and they, they talk about the present times. They don't ever go back to why, why it was and, right. you know, the real meaning of it. And they really don't know how many people worked on that car. Right. I mean, like I said, all the editors, a lot of associate editors, uh, you know, volunteers and what have you. I mean, there's a ton of people that contributed to right. making that car what it is. Right. Well, that's well, that's very gracious of you to talk about that because a lot of people, you know, they they it's all about themselves and whatever they did. But but you did share that with all these folks. I mean, you know, I know that Lee Kelly worked on it. Lee just passed. Uh, a lot of folks are going through a lot of different hard times, but all had fingers on those vehicles. I mean, you know, I, I need to get some photos to dress this out by getting uh, Steve Reyes to cough up a couple, couple of his uh, archival photos to uh, illustrate what's going on here. And I know Van, who was going to be with us on this, uh, we'll have another time when we'll get together with Van and, and you and I, and we'll tell some, tell some fun stories about uh, the days at Argus Publishing. But um, yeah, you know, it's it's important to know that it's not just one person that makes this stuff happen. And, and like I say, it's very gracious of you to to bring up out the fact that that there were a lot of fingers on this deal, and which made it great. And that's really the the essence between Argus Publishing. Because when I worked at Argus, it was the most fun I ever had in the publishing business. You know, tip of the hat to you. But we also um, really did the things that we felt were were important, as opposed to the, the magazine by committee that happened a lot of times at Peterson. There were folks that could get stuff done, but they were few and far between. And they fought a massive number of advertising guys who were forcing stuff down their throat that, that wasn't good and they had to hold the line where you and you never did that. You kept, you the story had an integrity and you built the story based on 
the best possible story you could get out of it. So big, big kudos that, to you there. I appreciate that. I, I think that again, uh, the fact that I believe that the the Argus editors were enthusiasts. Most all, most all of them were enthusiasts and they cared. And I think because of the fact they could do their own thing helped. Uh, it, it let them be more creative. And we did some stupid stuff, but you know, not that much. Um, stupid stuff least. is good. Stupid stuff yeah. is always good. And Van Toon and I did a lot of stupid stuff. And Pete, uh, you know, not to note, note in this, but when I went to CarCraft and Pete took over, Pete did an awesome job. You know, I think they were thinking that me leaving was going to make this, you know, it was kind of like pull the, pull the plug out of the balloon and it was going to fly around. But no, Pete was definitely groomed for that job. Again, he, he kind of followed in your way that he was, he was a smart guy. He was an enthusiast and he kept his ears open and he was very enthusiastic about the magazine. And it showed because he did a fine job and he then got the mantle to keep pushing Project X and take it to Super Chevy shows and all the other things that we were doing. So it's a big deal. That's a big deal. I don't know. You know, that car got painted a hundred times. Yes. I, I don't know if you heard the story. I'm sure you did. When the car was stolen. When was it stolen? I can't remember where it was stolen and when. Well, it was at Joe Anderson's paint shop. Yeah. And Joe. What year was this? Back. What year was this? Eighties, uh, nineties no, later. I, I, I don't Somewhere. remember exactly. Right okay. It's when I had the Pontiac rear end and all that. Oh, okay. At that okay. time, maybe, you know, the year that we had, I remember the Pontiac rear end and the transmission. I do. Stuff because uh, that's the stuff that got stolen. Um, <laughs> but I didn't know it was stolen and nor did anyone at Argus. We kept asking Joe how the car is coming along and things like that. Wow. And never got a real good answer, but you know, he said, Well, we'll come down and say, ah, no, it's in the back of the show. You know, we always get a line. And this almost became humorous in a way. Yeah. But um, I was out driving one day, pretty close to my neighborhood, and I turned left to go under an underpass, and I see this 57 Chevy on Jack's. And it's Project X. It says Project X right on the side. Oh, man. And about shit. <laughs> no kidding. And, huh? No kidding. Wow. And and uh, anyway, the car was pretty well stripped of um, the running gear and what have you. And we called Joe and asked him how the car's coming along. And he says, it's almost done. <laughs> Meanwhile, we got it. A flatbed picking it up and never oh, did go back right. there. But wow. that was that was a almost a story that's hard to believe. How could I turn down the street and find Project X? Whatever, yeah. you know, a needle oh. in the hairy haystack deal. Wow. And and yet nobody admitted to it being stolen. Was this when you were in Hawthorne or was this when you were up in Santa Clarita? Um no, it wasn't in Santa Clarita. It was still uh, down there. Yeah. Yeah. Still down wow. there. Wow. What a fun deal. What a fun deal. Well, George, I really appreciate the time and uh, chance to go over a lot of this stuff and just to see you again. I mean, we don't, we don't pass, pass paths that often. And now we got a chance to spend, you know, 
45 minutes talking about the stuff we love. And I appreciate doing it. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of stories that we could tell that would be That's fun. Well, I and, think we need to do that. I think we need to get back on the screen here now that you figured out your email. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. Well, thanks, George. And uh, thanks again. This has been uh, Car Guy Confessions without Jeff Smith, but he'll be back next time. I guarantee it. And again, sponsorship to uh, ARP Fasteners, ARP-Bolts.com. Thanks again to all their, their contributions and support. So thanks again. We'll see you soon. Thanks again, George. Take care.